Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran, a ministry of Worship Generation Church in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. The kings of the Philistines, the lords, the war lords of the Philistines are going to go out and fight against King Saul. And God has already spoken through the ghost or whatever of Samuel that Saul is going to be struck down the entire army. Well, at the same time that's happening with the witch at Endor, uh, David is part of Achish's military unit with his 600 mighty men. And they're being they're prepared to go out with the Philistines to go to war with Israel. And during this time, we know that he has deceived Achish into thinking that he's raiding Israel in the south while he lives in Ziglag, but he's actually raiding the enemies of God, not the people of God. And that's our background as we pick it up in verse 6. So, as David and his men were paraded before the warlords of the Philistines, the other Philistines say to Achish, like, what? what? Dude, this is the guy that they sang about killing his thousands, his ten thousands. How can this guy go to war with us? So, you know, that's not a good idea. So, Achish turns around in verse 6, and he calls David, and he said to him, Surely as the Lord lives, you've been upright, and you're going out, and you're coming in with me, and the army is good in my sight. For to this day I have not found evil in you since the day of your coming to me. Nevertheless, the lords do not favor you. Therefore, return now and go in peace, that you may displease, that you may not displease the, the lords of the Philistines. So David says to Achish, But what have I done? And to this day, what have you found in your servant as long as I've been with you that I may not go out and fight against the enemies of my Lord, the king? And then Achish answered and said to David, I know you're as good in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the princes of the Philistines have said, he shall not go up with us to the battle. Now, therefore, rise in the morning with your master's servants who who have come with you. And as soon as you are up early in the morning and have a light, depart. You need to go. So David and his men rose early and departed in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines, and the Philistines went up to Jezreel. So the Philistines are in Israel, and they're about to go to war with Israel. They're occupying Israel. They're an occupying military force in Israel. So David, when he's sent back by the Philistines, he's actually sent back to the land of the Philistines down in the lowlands like modern Gaza and that area. So this is the first part of the text tonight that gets our attention This door is closed. He's been trying for years to figure out how to get by. I was talking with Sam today about this. David could have won the Academy Award, the Grammy Award, and an Emmy Award, and all the awards. He's a great actor. When he fiend madness, Achish believed him. He said, this guy is a madman. He's out of his mind. Like, that's a really good acting job. Like, seriously. We know he's one of the greatest songwriters of all time and singers. He played the guitar with skill. So the musical skills. And we know he danced before the Lord. This guy had the whole package, dancing with the stars. He got it. He's used every skill set he has to find a way to keep going forward in difficult times. He's anointed by the prophet Samuel to be the great king of Israel in front of his brothers when he's a teenager. I mean, when he was class valedictorian in a big way when he moved on as a teenager, he had the anointing oil of Samuel the prophet upon his head. And he was a, 
can do no wrong guy, and yet all these things have happened to him. He had the wedding day where he married Saul's daughter, and then Saul gave her to another man, and it's just been a rough, a rough go. You know, when he's a teenager, life did him pretty well with the Lord. He defeated the bear and the lion and even Phil, the Philistine, Goliath. But in his 20s, man, it got tough. You know, one of the lessons men learn in their 20s, and they, they need to learn if they don't, is nobody gets paid for being cool. Guys want to get paid for being cool. Guys are cool when they're 20. But if you're a real man, you'll figure out no one's paying you to be cool by the time you're 30. You got to be a man. And life will beat you up. And the best thing you do is not let mommy pamper you. But man up and be a man. And that's what's going on for David right here. He's figured out, they don't care if you got the anointing oil on you. Life is hard. Life is trials, testings, tribulations, and even tragedy. And you got to man up. And life doesn't stop just because your father-in-law, the boss, has fired you when you're the future king. Life doesn't stop because the Philistine warlord, it's like, it's like he's going to be the CEO of Hyundai America or something, and he's running Joe's auto shop over here, average Joe auto shop, and he still gets fired. Because now he's been fired by the Philistines. Men find their identity in their position in the world and the job they have and their ability to provide security for their wives when they're married. This man's wife was taken from him by his father-in-law. His job as a military leader for Israel was taken from him by his father-in-law. He's been falsely accused. He's faced all these things. He's going to go work for the other people on the other side of the tracks. They said, oh, yeah, you know, you're pretty good. You can be one of my chief guardians. I'll give you a lifetime contract. We studied that last week. With benefits, I'll throw in dental. And even now on this text, on this day, They've worked so hard to take these men who are in debt, in distress, and discontent, shape them up like boot camp for Navy SEALs down there with the Buds and Coronado, and and get these guys in line and get them going and get them ready. Now they're parading them before the Philistine warlords, and it goes exactly opposite what he's hoping. He gets sent home. But yet, even when he's sent home, Achish is like, hey, I know before the Lord, he even quotes the Lord as his his secular Philistine God-worshiping boss, that you're an angel, like an angel to me. Well, actually, no, because David's been deceiving you for years. He's a really good actor, like a really good actor. It's over. This is the end of David's life on the run. This is where it all stops. No more drooling on the beard. No more living this lie, raiding these people and presenting it this way to Achish. God has intervened and God has closed the door. And that's what we really see in this story. Because this is not his battle. But when you're desperate, you know what's going on. You may find yourself fighting against the wrong people because you're just doing the best you can. He's been stumbled by those over him. And he's just, I defend David. You've noticed that by now in Samuel. He's just, because I've, I've been David. You've been David. We, sometimes it's like, you're boxed in. You're just doing the best you can to figure out what's the best thing. And you're trying to maintain your integrity and your faith as a woman, as a man. You're just doing the best you can. Like, I don't also say, I'm just doing the best I can right now. I didn't ask for it to be this way, but this is the way it is. And I'm just, I'm just doing the best I, best I can to just find a way and get through this. And that's what's going on for David. And now that's over. He's lost his identity. He's not the Philistine world. He's, he's not going out with the Philistines. This military unit that's been successful in what they've done, 
this is not their day. God has closed this door. And we can even say in our modern terminology, this isn't your lane. Stay in your lane. Your lane is not attacking Israel, your own people. Your lane is attacking Amalekites and finishing up the dirty business that Saul himself, your father-in-law, wasn't willing to do and didn't do. That's your lane. You need to know what your battles are and what they aren't. And so God intervenes and he closes the door for him. And this is important. God closes doors. There in the book of Revelation, Jesus said to the church of Philadelphia, I have the keys and I open doors and I close doors. I open doors no man can close and I close doors no man can open. And it's worth noting when David is rejected by the Philistine warlords from going out to go to war against Israel. And by the way, can you imagine if David is in combat and suddenly they draw the battle line and here comes his best friend Jonathan with the left flank of the Benjamites? He'd be looking at his best friend like, I can't, even, I can't even imagine. These are the two mightiest men of faith. They would have faced each other in the battlefield. God protected David from making a big mistake, and God closed the door. David's doing the best he can. God closed that door, which just reminds us in the big scheme is things with the Lord is always forward with the Lord, because everything's always forward with the Lord, that he closes doors. So when you find disfavor in that relationship, when you apply for that college and you got the big no, and you went for this, you applied for this job, you're the best qualified woman, and someone else got it, and it was nepotism or whatever, that's okay. If we don't think God's bigger than a family member giving a job to another family member when you're more qualified, how are we going to trust him to raise us from the grave on the day of Christ Jesus? You've got to believe that God's bigger than that. You have to believe. I mean, we're trusting Jesus to raise us from the grave. So coming from that basis, we have to know, like, God's bigger than the principal, the boss, the in-laws, the relatives, and this, that, and everything else. God's bigger. Big God, little problem. Little God, big problem. God's bigger than that. You frame it and you, you keep that in mind. This door was closed by the Lord. And his no is generally louder than yes. As you get older, and for those younger people, I'll tell you, God's no is usually loud. As loud as your parents saying, no way, you can't use the car. Or no, that's not going to happen. We're not paying for that. God's no is loud. Generally. His yes is much softer. The yes is more like listening to sonar when you're in a sub for hearing the blip. The yes requires the discipline of seeking the Lord and discerning the mind of the Lord and his will and his purposes for your life. Yes is, is more, at least in my own life, I find this to be true. Yes is softer. No is louder. So praise the Lord for no, right? Like when you're a little kid and you're about to touch the hot stove, your parents go like, no, it's louder. David's about to go out to war against Saul and Benjamin. God's like, no, but he didn't say it like that. He just put the, the warlords like, what a, there's no way. There's no way this guy's going out with us. So praise the Lord for closed doors. And the sooner that we can accept closed doors, the better it is for us. And we don't blame these people for closing the door. And we don't blame those people for closing the door. We simply say, that's the Lord. And he closed the door. And the sooner you can come to terms with that, the better. Now, you get on your horse and you take a long ride back to Ziglag and you're thinking about it. But I'm going to draw attention to the difference between David in chapter 29 and chapter 30 in just a moment. He's like, what have I done? What's going on? Like, when you're frustrated, that's how you get. Like, what have I done? I've worked so hard for you. I've worked hard for Del Taco. I show up on time. I clean the fry bin. And you're letting me go. Like, it's not about Del Taco. It's about the Lord moving us along and closing that door and getting us where he wants us to be and protecting us from something that 
Seems like the next thing in our life, but God's bigger than that, and he's protecting us. Receive the closed door and move on to the next thing, which brings us to chapter 30. In chapter 30, David and his men return to Ziglag, and they find out for three days. So he's had three days to think about getting fired by the Philistine warlords, not getting the promotion, not getting the job. And so now he comes back to Ziglag, and lo and behold, everybody's gone. Their village is burned and plundered by who else but the Amalekites. The Amalekites, the perpetual enemies of Israel, have plundered David's household, his goods, everything, everybody. His 600 men, all their wives, all their children, all their goods, everything was taken. The Amalekite raiders came when David's over here, and when David comes back, the city is burned. So their house is destroyed. Now imagine if someone destroyed your house. Someone destroyed your house. If, you, if a man's identity is in his job, a woman's identity is in her home. Can you imagine your husband's gone and these Amalekite raiders show up? That's terrifying enough. They take you and your kids and all your wealth and then they burn your house in front of you before they leave town. That is just... Well, it's actually human history, believe it or not, which most of you know it is. But that's just gripping, and that's a gut check of all time. So that's what they did. So in that background, this is the lowest moment for David. It's just like they come back, the whole neighborhood, oh, Pacific Sands, where I live in Huntington Beach, is burned to the ground. It's all gone. That beautiful planned community in the Fort Worth suburb, gone. Just gone. Vero Beach, McCann's neighborhood, just gone. Gone, and the people we love are gone. You see the context now? This is heavy stuff. So in that background, the 600 men who are parading themselves four days before as superheroes, now they're like, it's all the boss's fault. It is all the boss's fault. David, we have followed you from the cave at Adullam, and we've done everything you said to do, And look where it got us. We've lost everything, our family and our fortune, our future. We've lost it all. And in that background, David does what we all need to do in the difficult day. We're told in verse 6, in the midst of this, now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him. They're going to kill him. Because of the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthen himself in the Lord. And then David said to Abarthar the priest, remember he's the one that escaped the slaughter of the 70 priests, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abarthar brought the ephod of David. So David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he, the Lord, answered him saying, pursue for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. So David had to accept that closed door and just, you know what, that's that. But now he has to be in the moment and he has to be in the most difficult moment imaginable and he has to gather his thoughts and his wits. You know, just because you have a trial and a crisis going on in your life doesn't mean you have to stop living, that you can stop living. You ever notice like Caesar doesn't care if you've got personal problems because of a terminal illness. Caesar wants you to pay your taxes. There's lots of people that have terminal illnesses in America. Caesar wants his money. Caesar wants you to pay taxes. The boss might be empathetic, 
boss, you might have a good boss and they'll give you weeks off because you're dealing with a terminal illness. Some bosses, they'll give you three days and say, suck it up. And that's in America. You, you just don't know. Life goes on. I've told this story about one of the top surfers I coached with the U.S. team back in uh, 2008, where his mom had this big scene. I was there, that was the day Pete Carroll was with the team and we were down there. And his mom threw the biggest scene and then he was all upset and she was said, I'm humiliating her son at this practice and all these things. And what had happened was he had lost a, a final, like a final of the top American surfers, but I had like a consolation final, kind of like World Cup soccer. You know, you have the, the consolation final or more importantly, like the Olympics where you lose the archery semifinal and then you're in the archery consolation for bronze medal. You know, those are the best matches to watch in the Olympics, by the way, is the battle for bronze because you tell whose head is still in the game and wants to go home with the medal and who's over it because they can't have gold. You know, some people quit because they can't have gold. But some people dig deep and they'll still go home with a medal, with bronze. And believe me, I've gone home with gold and I've gone home with copper, bronze and silver. I've won all four colors in international competitions with Team USA and I've gone home with nothing with Team Chile. I've gone home as the last place coach of the worst team in the world with Team Chile in 2015 Ecuador. And 11th place result with Great Britain in 2011 in Peru. So I know what it's like to get on the plane without a medal. I know what it's like to get on the plane with a gold medal, and believe me, gold feels better than no medal, right? Winning feels better than losing, but you learn more from losing. And this mom just was, you've humiliated my son, because why would he even try if he can't win the gold? I'm like, well, because just because you can't win gold doesn't mean you don't try. And I had to talk with this athlete later on in the day, and I said, listen, there's going to be a day maybe when your wife is dying of a terminal illness, and you got to get up and go to work. He goes, I only go for the gold. And I go, well, you know what? That might sound good when you're 17 and a high school senior, but let me tell you, in life, you don't always get to go for the gold. There's a lot of people that get up and go to work all over the world, and they're going for food, not for gold. And if you think the life's going to kowtow to you where it's only about gold, you've got a, a, a tough lesson coming. I'm a surf coach, but I'm really a mentor, a life mentor, and I'm trying to prepare you for a time in your life when you're, it's not all about you and you're not all, all it, and someone you love is dying and you still got to go to work and pay your mortgage and you got to put food in that refrigerator and you got to live life. That's what that heat was about today. You don't always get to go for the gold, son. That's the way life works. And I'm preparing you for that. Are we good? Yeah, we are. We're good. You don't dig deep just because you can be the winner. You dig deep because life goes on every day and it doesn't stop for you just because you're having a bad day, a bad week, a bad month, a bad year, and a bad decade. Jesus didn't die on the cross, so you can only go for gold. We come from victory, and we're going to victory, but it doesn't mean we always get to win. And that's just the way it is in life. So here for David, in this low point in his life, we're really, this, this is the low point right here. When it says that he strengthened himself in the Lord, this is the low point. This is the absolute rock bottom of this entire book in David's life. And now it all just stops and he has to slow it down and he has to gather his thoughts and gather his wits and figure out, as I say, TNT, the next thing. What's the next thing? In crisis management and those of you who deal with police and law enforcement and military, it's, it's, it's observing the whole situation. They call the ODA. You observe and you, you have to calculate what's going on and you have to make a decision of what the next thing is. There is a next thing. 
It might be calling the police if you're not the police and there's a crisis. It might be filming the person who's a threat so you have their visual. It might be writing down the license plate. You know, there, there is a next thing. And in a crisis situation, you want to melt down. And in a personal life crisis situation, you, just because you don't feel like paying the bills doesn't mean they're not due. The bills are due. And someone's going to expect you to pay those bills. And not to pay those bills is taken from the people who worked hard to provide those services for you, and now you're taking from them. Pay your bills, and preferably on time. Or at least communicate what's going on while you can't pay them on time. Life doesn't stop because you're having a bad day, a bad week, a bad month, a bad year, or a bad decade, or even a tough life. And for David, it's just, how did we get here? At this moment, he's like Job in Job chapters 1 and 2. He has lost everything. He didn't have his wife to, curse, to tell him to curse God like Job did. He's got 600 men that he's invested his life in who want to kill him. Not just go on strike, but to kill him. And then you see what he says. It's interesting in the Hebrew. Then David said to Abathar the priest, please bring the ephod to me. You know, when you're broken like this, there's not a lot of words, is there? It's like when you're a broken woman and you're a broken man, just tell me what's happening. Bring the ephod. Now, the ephod is the robe. It's kind of like the flashpoint of faith. And, you know, think about the ephod. We bring out the ephod to David. What's it remind of him? It reminds him of 70 priests being killed that were innocent because he ate the showbread with his buddies. The robe's not like a happy feeling. The, you know, look, when you bring out Goliath's sword to David, happy feeling. Happy feeling. Yeah, yeah, CIF, MVP, you know. Ah, that's us. St. Bosco's, right? Happy feeling. The robe, happy feeling's gone. The robe is like 70 people got slaughtered. This robe is associated. This guy who brings out the robe is the only living person from that day when Saul and Dog the Edomite wiped out everybody, falsely accusing them. It's not on you. You didn't execute him. But it is a chain reaction of you doing the best you could on that day. So it's not like you get to look at something and draw strength from like, ah, oh, man, we can do this because, you know, we did this. We, we were class valedictorian. We were this. We were that. We got the Eagle Scout thing. We got it all. Like, there's nothing to, like, the robe is a reminder of really a sad memory. But it is a flashpoint of faith for the Lord. It's such a short and simple sentence. Please bring the ephod to me. It's the next thing. We have got to seek the Lord. We have strengthened ourselves in the Lord. I've had to slow it down. I've had to press in. I've had to meditate on his law. If I live, I live. If I die, I die. I'm meditating on the Ten Commandments. I'm meditating on just the goodness of the Lord. I've got new psalms to write right now. They're coming to me. I can hear these guys yelling at me right now. My wives and children are gone. I've lost my job and my identity. I've lost my home. Where can we possibly go from here? Lord, what is next? The next thing is bring the ephod. And ask me before the men, what's next? So the ephod comes out. What's next? And the Lord says, okay. David says, he inquires of the Lord, what is the next thing? And the Lord says, the next thing is go get him and you won't lose anything. 
That's it. You know, you like it when the Lord speaks a good word to you, like when you when he puts something on your heart, it gives you a word from the, the scriptures, it's in a K wave or a song, and you just know it's the Lord confirming to you. That's a good thing. At the lowest point of his life, well, of course, God said to Joshua, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's reaffirmed in the New Testament book of Hebrews. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus said on the mount before he ascended, Lo, I'm with you always, even till the end of the age. There's nothing that we face that we face alone without the Lord in the human experience when you belong to Christ. And even if you don't, he still faces it with you because he knows you're there and he knows what's going on. Where can I go from your spirit? If I go up here, you're there. If I go down to the depths, you're there. If I go to the east of the west, you're there. That's what David wrote in Psalm 139. You're there. So let's invite him to be here. Let's inquire of him. What's the next thing in this crisis moment? The next thing is go overtake him. The next thing is to gather your thoughts Gather your men. You are going to war. You are going to combat, but not against my people, but for my people. Now go. That's the next thing. This is your lane. This is your battle. Saddle up and attack. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, Visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and our church YouTube channel. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. For more information about Pastor Joey personally, You can follow him on his Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, and God bless.